scripture is taken from Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 19. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you have heard, and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by my name. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in a marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunken, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask you to bless the reading of your word, and now as we turn our hearts to consider what we have just heard, would you fortify our faith, or would you strengthen those who are weak? Would you draw near to those of us who may be struggling? Lord, I pray that you would grant faith for those in this room who need faith and have not yet put their trust in you. Let every, every person in this room listening to my voice put our trust in you. Those of us who have been walking with you for a long time, those of us who have just begun, and those who need to begin, may we trust in you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that we would seek you above all other things. So, Father, by your Spirit, I pray, do what only you can do this morning. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So John comes asking a question. He sends a question, and it reveals a struggle in his life. And I wonder, what do you do with your doubts? What do you do when you have questions about your faith, or you don't understand what God is doing? To whom do you go when life does not go like you expect it to go? What happens inwardly to your faith? When you're dreaming of living in a palace and you find yourself in a prison, can you still trust Jesus? Um, 
Where does your, the, salt, the foundation lie in your faith? Is it on circumstances or a person? And John here, uh, we see, is in the middle of a struggle. So let me just go back to these first two verses. It reveals a question. He says, are you the one? That's the question that has been sent. Are you the one? So verses 2 and 3, and feel free to just stay with me in your copy of Scripture uh, in Matthew chapter 11. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? John's in prison. He's uh, locked up. Uh, and, and he's in, uh, a, uh, Josephus tells us, he is in a fortress of Herod, which sits atop a massive uh, kind of mountain, which was impenetrable. When you're in a battle, you need the high ground. And Herod had the high ground. And John is imprisoned in his palace fortress here on the east side of the Dead Sea uh, with a, a, a no way to get out. Um, and he has been imprisoned Not because he has committed a crime, but because he has spoken the truth. Herod had married his sister-in-law. He had stolen his brother's wife and married her. And John the Baptist had said, "That's, that's wrong. You can't do that. That's not God's will for your life. And he was locked in jail for this. So he's not done any crime, but he has simply spoken the truth, and yet he is in prison. So this is where John is. So imagine yourself in prison. Anybody ever been in prison? You don't have to raise your hand. That's fine. Um, You ever visited? It's exceedingly unpleasant. I used to do a little prison ministry prior to moving here to Massachusetts, and I would go every week, every other week, to have a little Bible study with some prisoners and it was astonishing to me um, the very solid walls of bars and concrete. And to sit inside, uh, to never see a window without bars, is quite frightening. And yet, I had the blessing of being able to leave after the Bible study was over. But that was not the case for everyone. John is in prison for doing the right thing. What do you think is going on in his soul? You ever do the right thing and you get punished for it? What's happening within him? He's hearing, he's getting word of what's happening outside, and he's heard about the deeds of Jesus. And what are the deeds of Jesus? We have seen this as we've been moving through the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has been doing some pretty incredible things. We have seen from from chapter 4, when he begins his public ministry, uh, all the way through, he has been teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He has been healing every disease. He has been casting out demons. He's been healing every affliction, those who are sick, those who are wounded and weak. He has been lifting up, pe- paralyzed. He has been granting the ability to walk. He has cleansed lepers. He has calmed storms. He even raised the daughter of, of a man who was His daughter was dead. He raised her back to life and teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He's been preaching and doing some pretty amazing things. John has heard about all of that and he's not convinced Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus raised somebody from the dead and John is not convinced. 
He has been preaching like no one else has preached. We reported that his authority was unlike any of the other scribes or the Pharisees. His his teaching was amazing. He's demonstrating with incredible deeds, opening the eyes of the blind, the deaf are hearing. And John says, hey guys, can you go ask him, is he the one? Are we supposed to look for somebody else? What is going on in John's heart? He is not convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. He's having some doubts. Now, we, we know uh, there are some similarities between Jesus' ministry and John's ministry. John preached a baptism of repentance, a repentance from sin. Baptism is a, a sign of cleansing and turning away from sin, living a new life. And Jesus preached that kind of repentance But Jesus did not do some things that John did. So it's not what Jesus is doing, I don't think, that's causing the doubt, but what Jesus is not doing. Because, I mean, Jesus is just strange. He's different. Remember, we saw this a couple weeks ago. Um, He's not fasting. He does not fast like the Pharisees fast and John fasted. His disciples, they all fast for the kingdom to come. Jesus doesn't. He doesn't do that. What, Jesus, what are you up to? And John had said some things about Jesus. Um, John had been preaching that God, when the kingdom comes, would punish the guilty. He would put down the hypocritical, pharisaical leaders who were fake in their faith. He would bring an end to them. What is Jesus doing? He's he's healing people. He's preaching. He's not doing anything with the Pharisees. So uh, John is probably wondering, what is going on? Here's what John said. Matthew 3, 10 to 12. uh, John preaches as the Pharisees come to listen to him. He says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptized you with water. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's John the Baptist. When he sees the religious leaders of his day coming, you hear what he's saying? You're going to get it. You guys, if you don't straighten up, you are going to be judged. So the, the fire is coming. You better repent. Where is that in Jesus' preaching? It, it's thus far non-existent in Matthew. There's little bits here and there in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus hasn't come preaching like this. So John, I think, sees what Jesus is doing, but he is perplexed by what he's not doing. And all of the religious leaders of the day assumed that the Messiah would come and set up a kingdom. Jesus isn't in Jerusalem establishing a kingdom. He's hanging out in Galilee. That's largely a Gentile area. Why why is he there? I mean, Jerusalem is where the action needs to happen. John's perplexed. You ever read the Bible and get perplexed? Anybody? You, you, You ever... Think about God and how he runs the world, and he's just confused. John is struggling here. He's in prison, and he is struggling. And he's asking a question. Are you the guy? Was I wrong in the beginning when I told my disciples, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Do you remember John said that? 
And now he's saying, maybe we need to look for somebody else. You don't appear to be doing what we thought you would be doing, Jesus. So uh, John is doubting, but notice Matthew is not. Look at verse 2. Is, uh, Matthew tells us what he thinks about Jesus. Um, now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of whom? The Christ. Uh, who, what, what, is, what does Christ mean? Yeah, the Messiah. That, so Christ is the Greek word that translates the Hebrew word Messiah, which means the anointed one. The one who has been chosen and anointed. So Matthew has no doubt. He's used this word already in his gospel. It is from the very beginning, we see Christ several times because Matthew is convinced Jesus is the Messiah. So he reminds his readers, John is doubting, but the deeds of the Christ. This is the first time John has used, I mean, Matthew has used this word since the birth narratives. So the opening chapters about Jesus' birth, he's referred to as Christ, but we haven't seen that word until now. And here he says, uh, the deeds that Jesus has been doing are the deeds of the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And then he asked this question, are you the one? Or are we supposed to look for another? And so what does, what does Jesus answer? It, it's okay to ask Jesus questions, by the way. One thing to take away from this, it's okay to ask questions. And so his disciples asked Jesus this question, and then Jesus gives an answer in verses four and six. Jesus answered them and said, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Here's a, one more beatitude. <laughs> blessed is the same word. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Uh, so Jesus points John's disciples back to the very things that they already know is happening. He does not give them any new information. He simply says, here's, listen, what you see and hear, pay attention. And then he lists everything that he's been doing from the beginning of his ministry. He simply reminds them of what they already know about him. And, and what is happening here? So Jesus is going back into the Old Testament and he's actually pulling out deeds and actions that represent God's presence among the people. So, for example, the blind receive their sight. That is spoken of in Isaiah 28 and 35, that when God visits his people, the blind will receive sight. The lame will walk, Isaiah 35 also. The uppers will be cleansed, Isaiah 53. The deaf will hear, Isaiah 29 and 35. Uh, the dead are raised up, spoken of in Isaiah 26, 19. The poor have good news preached to them, Isaiah 29 and also Isaiah 61. All of these miracles point to the actions of what the Messiah will do when God is present. And yet, Jesus does not say, we'll set up a military kingdom, we'll establish the capital in Jerusalem. He does not go there. He simply tells them what they already knew, which one wonders, why would you do that, Jesus? <laughs> to give them a little more evidence? They already know this. They read the paper. They've seen your actions. It's in the, you know, the Jerusalem circular. Why won't you tell them something else? And he simply reminds them of what they already know. And then he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
Now, Jesus is a pretty offensive guy, especially today, right? Um, you, you, it's, sometimes if you're, you're talking with people, it's okay to say God, isn't it? You can talk about God. But if you make claims about Jesus, <laughs> it gets you in trouble, right? To say, yeah, I believe in God at work is probably safe. But to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, how many of you? You go there? Eh, depends on where you work, right? The word is scandalized. This, this word um, that's offended, it's the Greek word skandalizo. So we get our word scandalized. So blessed are those who are not scandalized by Christ. Meaning made to look bad, right? A scandal looks bad. Um, blessed are those who are not offended by me and who will follow me. So there's a blessing that is promised. And then he get, that's the answer that he gives them. And he says, he's saying, John, you're blessed if you don't fall, don't stumble because of me. And then the disciples go away. They, they return. And then Jesus, there's a crowd here. So this is a public conversation. So look at verse 7. As they went away, the disciples of John, Jesus then turns to the crowds and he begins to speak of them about John. And he says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Right? Uh, what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? And Jesus, uh, Yes, a prophet. And yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who prepare the way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus gives an answer of, you want to know what the Messiah is doing? Here's, here's the deeds that I'm doing. And so um, now he talks to the crowd and says, what do you think about John? Right? John has just asked a question which reveals he's having some doubts about Jesus' identity. And everybody knows who John is. He's a very public figure. And he says, why did you guys take a hike out to the wilderness? What did you go listen to? A reed shaken in the wind reeds, little floppy flowers, right? That just kind of blow in the wind. Is, is John a weak-willed person with, uh, without any convictions? Is he a, a man who just kind of blows, goes with the whims of the culture this way and that? Is, is that who John is? Is that who you believe he is? And of course, the answer, the obvious answer is no. Nobody hikes out miles into the wilderness to, list, to listen to someone speak who's going to change his opinion tomorrow. Nobody does that. Secondly, he says, well, what about, was he it's just some guy in soft clothing? Which is really funny because you know what John wore? Right? Camel's hair clothes with a leather belt. He's a very rugged individual. The exact opposite of soft clothing. Is, is that why you went out? Because he's, he's, he's a cool dresser? <laughs> no, obviously not. Um, well, then a prophet? Yes. Yes, people went to hear John because he was a prophet. What do prophets do? Prophets speak on behalf of God. They speak for God. They speak what God says to speak. And this is what John has done. And he's saying, uh, yes, John is a prophet. But he's even more than that. So yes, he speaks for God. He says what God is told him, telling him to say. But more than that, he's a part of the fulfillment of prophecy. And then he quotes Malachi 3, saying that John is a messenger who will go before the Messiah. 
So he's, he's claiming Old Testament fulfillment, and Malachi 3.1, which Jesus quotes here, mentions a messenger, but at the end of Malachi, Malachi names Elijah as, as one who would also go before the Christ, the, before the Messiah. And then Jesus says to the crowds, and I'll tell you what, if you can believe this, John is actually fulfilling the prophecy of Elijah that was spoken of by the prophet Malachi. And he says, in fact, there's nobody greater than John. No one born of women is any greater than John. He's the greatest prophet. He's the greatest man who has ever been born. That is an incredible statement. Because, does, I mean, what's his net worth, John the Baptist, right? I mean, would you, he doesn't make the cover of Time magazine. He's not the man of the year. He's not GQ's number one most handsome guy in the planet. Who, who do we uphold as great people? And Jesus says, John is the greatest man who has ever been born. He's in prison. He's left alone, rotting in the jail. Where is God in all of this? And yet Jesus says of him, he is the greatest born of women? It's incredible. So my question, why does Jesus ask this? Why does he provoke the crowd by saying, what do you guys think about John? It, could it be that Jesus wants us to see that great men sometimes have doubts about their faith? Great men, there's nobody like John, is what Jesus is saying. And yet, John is here perplexed about who Jesus is. He's doubting his faith. Or, or could it be that Jesus wants us to consider, you know, there are things about the kingdom of heaven that boggle the mind. You're not going to understand everything. And, and John, he's trying to get his head around all that God is doing. He thought Jesus was the Messiah, but now he's having his doubts. And yet, could it be that questions are going to arise in your faith and that that's partly what Jesus wants us to see because on our own we don't get it think about the disciples just one example of them knowing truth but being unable to assimilate it into their soul you remember when Jesus on the last um, the last few months of his life as he was making his way to Jerusalem three times he told his disciples hey guys when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be arrested. I am going to be flogged. I'm going to be crucified. And then I'm going to be buried. And I'll rise again on the third day. He, he told them that three times. They did not understand. They were baffled when it actually happened. So there is much about the kingdom of heaven we can see and know but not get. And, and apart from the help of the Holy Spirit, we do not understand spiritual things, right? Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness him, or folly. They are, uh, he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually apprised or discerned. We don't get spiritual truth without the help of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe Jesus is asking this question to reveal, if you want to understand the kingdom of God, you need the help of the Holy Spirit. 
You need to be helped by God himself in order to fully embrace the truths. And I think third reason he's asking this question is to invite doubters to trust in him. Because Jesus' treatment of, of these disciples was very patient and very kind. He did not say, what is wrong with John? What, what's his problem? He's got plenty of evidence and he doesn't get it. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, go, go tell John. This, this, look at what you see and hear. And he points him back to the truths of who the Messiah is. And so maybe Jesus is, he's very patient and kind with those who are doubting. But then he, so John is the greatest. And he says that, and, and yet they're still doubting. And, but then look at what he says next in the last half of verse 11. He says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. For from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and violent and the violent take it by force for all the prophets and the law have prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He is saying, we, we all want to be great, don't we? <laughs> Everybody, you've, you had dreams of being great. I know every one of you wanted to be either king or princess or whatever. You had aspirations of greatness. In high school, you wanted to be the principal or you wanted to be the, the prom king or queen. We, we all want to be great. We want to be famous. We want to be well-known. And yet, here, here's the greatest person on the planet and uh, greatest born of men. And Jesus says, don't pursue greatness. Don't yearn for greatness because it's better to be in the kingdom and, and least in the kingdom than outside it and the greatest person of all. Don't yearn for greatness. Yearn to be in the kingdom. So what he's saying is don't let anything keep you from being in the kingdom. Don't let the violence of wicked people keep you from being in the kingdom. Don't let the problem of evil keep you from believing in God. Because most people think, if there's a God, well, why is there evil in the world? Right? Some people allow that to be the stumbling block that keeps them out of the kingdom. I can't understand how good and evil, if God's all-powerful and he's all good, I don't get it, must not be a God. Don't let that keep you from the kingdom. Because yes, the kingdom of God is suffering violence. And in this context, I think he's talking about John the Baptist. John has been violently arrested. He's been thrown in jail. He's done what is good and right. And yet he's in prison. He's about to get his head chopped off. He, he will die in prison. He never gets out. And yet he's the greatest man. And yet here, don't let that keep you from the kingdom is what Jesus is saying. Don't let anything keep you from the kingdom. Even the violentness, the violent wickedness in this world, don't let it stop you from entering the kingdom of heaven. Pursue it with all of your heart. Are you willing to love the kingdom of God more than everything that the world has to offer? John the Baptist has nothing. And, and are you, would you be willing to follow Jesus faithfully if it meant you're going to die in prison? Is he that valuable? Is he a treasure like that to you? What do you love more, your freedom or to follow Jesus? What if his plan for you is to die in prison? That was God's plan for, for John the Baptist. Would you follow him? Because he says this, look at verses 16 to 19. Well, what shall I compare to this world, this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces, uh, calling to their playmates. 
We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Right? He's saying the world has crazy expectations. No matter what you do, the world, you got to please the world. Who do you want to please? Do you want to please God more than the people of this world? Because expectations will come and go. Right? The, with the, this generation of, of the people around Jesus are like, we sang a, 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 a dirge, a funeral dirge, and you're supposed to mourn, but you didn't do what we expected. And then we sang a, a, a joyful song, and, and you didn't sing. You're, you don't do what we expect. And the question is, will you follow the Lord Jesus no matter where he leads you? Right? John had a very different calling than did Jesus. John Living in the wilderness, he did not eat fine food or drink wine. He was, uh, he was outside the culture, so to speak. Jesus comes within the culture, eating and drinking with people. He goes to dinner parties that Pharisees invite him to. And yet everybody looks at Jesus and goes, ha, he's a drunkard. He just hangs out with sinners. And they say to John, who's living out in the wilderness, eating locusts, he's a nut job. Are you willing to be obedient to the Lord Jesus no matter what he calls you to do? He does not have the same calling for all of us. Some of us, he will call to die in prison for the name of Jesus. Will you love his name more than that, more than your life, more than anything you have? Some of us, he will call to do very different things. And yet the question is, will you seek him to please Jesus more than your peers, more than this world, and more than yourself. Will you be obedient to the call of Christ in your life? Because wisdom is justified by your deeds. Jesus is saying, we're back to deeds now. Do you notice the word? The very first sentence, John heard about Jesus' deeds. And now Jesus is concluding wisdom is justified by the deeds. He's saying, look at a person's life. Are they being obedient to God? John's not a nut job. He just had a different calling. And, and you look at me. Am I the Messiah? Keep watching Jesus. Do I look like the Messiah? Am I, am I talking like the Messiah? Am I doing what the Messiah is doing? Even though not all of it is coming into focus, do you, do you look at me and trust me? That's what Jesus is saying. Do you trust me? So, conclusion. Don't be devastated by doubts in your faith. Sometimes people think if I have any doubts at all, it means my faith is, is weak and worthless. I don't think that's the case. You're going to have seasons of doubt. Good grief. Think about Job. I mean, all that he went through. Yeah, he had some seasons of doubt. He said, I wish I'd never been born. Right? Jeremiah poor guy lived through the destruction of Jerusalem and a famine that if you read the details of the famine, will it's stunning. Parents were eating their children is how bad it was in Jerusalem. Right? And, and Jeremiah lived through that. He witnessed it. He also said, cursed is the day that I was born. I wish I'd never seen the light of day. There are moments when we will go through significant seasons of doubt. 
Dear Thomas, I don't believe in the resurrection. And what Jesus stood before him and he said, Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe in me. That's, that's the calling for all of us this morning. I don't know what you're going through. I'm, I'm sure there are difficulties that we're all facing in various degrees, but can we trust him? Don't think that doubting means your faith is nullified. Secondly, great people experience seasons of doubting. Men mightily used by God. People gone through incredible seasons to obey the Lord, and yet he used them. They experience doubting. So don't, don't think you're alone in your doubts. You're not. You're in good company. And third, what do you do when you doubt? Go to Jesus is the first thing. When you doubt, go to Jesus. Now, I, if you're like me, I'm like, how do you do that, Todd? He's, I don't know, he's in heaven somewhere. I can't see him. Pray is the first thing. Speak your doubts to him. That's exactly what these disciples did when they went to Jesus. They, they, are you the guy or are we supposed to look for somebody else? In prayer, when you have doubts about your faith, go and ask him. Speak it out loud. And if you're afraid to speak it out loud, do like I do sometimes. I stick my head in the pillow when I want to say stuff. I don't want anybody to hear. And in confessing, grab some pillows and confess to the Lord. Get it out. Pray. Pray to the Lord. Share what is going on in your heart. Secondly, go to the Bible. When you're asking Jesus, Here, here's what I'm, I don't, I don't understand. Help me. Go to the Bible. Read. Take up and read. For example, God answers questions. So I had someone this week ask me a question. Um, and this is often is one of the reasons for people stumble. It's like, where did Cain get his wife? All right, the Bible says um, Cain had a wife. And, where, where did she come from? Well, Genesis 5.4 said Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters. So he married his sister. That's where he got his wife. Uh, don't, don't let questions keep you from seeking answers in Scripture. Now, the Bible doesn't answer every question. doesn't tell you what college to go to or who to marry, although we wish we would. It would tell us all those things. But yet, God does give answers to Scripture. And then the third thing is go to other people who love Jesus. Go to people who have walked down the same road that you have been down. Ask for help in, in whatever your doubts are, but seek him. Seek the Lord Jesus with all of your heart. Don't let anything keep you from seeking the Lord Jesus. Don't let doubts, don't let the problem of evil, don't let where did Cain get his wife, don't let any of those questions that appear to be unanswerable keep you from Jesus. And the question is, can you consider his deeds? Now, the greatest thing that Jesus ever did was rise from the dead. And this morning, we're talking about in our 9 a.m. class, if there's no resurrection, Christianity is a hoax. And we are a bunch of liars. If there is no resurrection, Jesus did not bodily rise from the dead. We're doomed because we are all still in our sin. But if he did, if he did rise from the dead, and I'm staking my soul on the fact that he did, then sin has been atoned for and forgiveness is granted to all of you messed up sinners and me who is a messed up sinner. All of your mess, Jesus died to atone for and he paid the price. We know it has been paid because he was resurrected. 
The resurrection is the proof of the final payment for the atonement of sin. All of your sin. That's the most wonderful deed that Jesus did. And we get to look back on that event in history. And, and so the question is, can you trust him? Can you trust him? I know you have questions. We all have questions that aren't fully answered. And yet, can you look to this Jesus who preached and taught in a way that astounded everybody he met, who opened blind eyes, who healed people, who raised people from the dead, who himself was raised from the dead. Can you look to him and say, I, there's a lot of things I don't understand, but one thing I know, you are the son of God and I believe you were resurrected. I believe you have risen and, and are seated at the right hand of God this very day. And if Todd Cravens has any chance of getting into heaven, it's going to be because Jesus gets me there. Do you trust him? That's, that's the invitation today. It's a call for, can you walk by faith through the questions of your life? When you have questions, go and ask. Seek him. I think Andy told me when, when he first became a believer, one of those things is like, I just don't know if God is real. I hope I'm telling this story right, Randy. If not, let's just fake it because it's going to be cool. Um, <laughs> right? I don't know if you're real. Can you just show me? Is that, is that true? Okay, close enough. Yeah. Right? My point is, Ask the Lord in honest prayer. If you, if you doubt he exists, if he's real, ask him to show you. Not, not a manipulative testing like, God, you must perform because I'm asking. That's not what I'm saying. But ask, will you show me? Will you open my eyes and let me see if you are real? I think Jesus answers those kind of prayers. I know he does. Honest seeking of him, he responds to. So if you don't know if Jesus is real, I want to challenge you today, pray it and ask before you leave. And there will be a prayer team ready to pray with you to say, will you show me if you're, if you're real? Show me, let me see, give me eyes to see. But you got to seek. You got to expect that he's going to answer. You got to look, you got to do a little digging, right? There's evidence all around if we pay attention to it. Don't think, you know, the Saturn's going to do 14 hula hoops or something, right? There's, there's a way in which God would reveal. But if your eyes are open, if you're expecting, I think he'll answer your prayer. So can you trust him through your questions? Will you go to him with your doubting? Will you, will you seek out wise people? Uh, will, you, will you press through all of the difficult seasons? And if you find yourself in a painful season, don't give up. Don't fail to trust in Jesus. Keep trusting in him. And, and you're in good company. Doubters are welcome at Hope Christian Church. Questioners are welcome here. So ask away. And let's ask the Lord to, to shine the light of his goodness to us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, without you, we can see nothing. We are blind spiritually from birth. And yet your word says if we have eyes to see, and let us see. And Lord, I ask, would you please do that? There might be people in this room who have never cried out to you, never surrendered their life to you this morning. And I, I pray right now that they would ask you and seek and say, Lord, if you're real, just show me, please. And Lord, if we struggle to understand how 
your death could bring salvation to us. And I pray that you would let us have the faith to trust that your righteousness can be given to any who would simply trust in you completely and rest our soul in you. There's no other way to have communion with God the Father than through you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that you would be effective in our lives. Father, pour out your tender mercies on the doubters in this room. Pour out your tender, compassionate mercy on those who are weak in faith and wanting to give up. And Lord, I pray you'd pour out your spirit upon those of us who love you so that we can patiently respond with evidence, but gentle, soft answers that are true, but yet patient, waiting for you to work in a person's life. Lord, let your grace rest upon us. And Lord, I pray that we would all see you as the sovereign king, the Christ, the son of man, who you truly are, the risen savior, the, the one true and living God who came in flesh and died and was resurrected and is now reigning. Lord, let us see you as the king of the universe. And may we praise you as king and not doubt you in your humanity, but we praise you right now, Lord Jesus, as the king of the universe. Let us do that in faith and in trust. In Christ's name, amen.